All right. Before we have a look into God's word, let us speak with him once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given it to us sinners before you. It is such a wonderful gift. We pray that we may be able to indeed comprehend what it is saying to us this morning, that we may learn from it, be instructed and be strengthened. We may have insight that leads us to be strong Christians for you, that we may be faithful servants as a result of looking into your word and being enlightened by it. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin by introducing you to a man called Thomas Cranmer. You may have heard of Thomas Cranmer. He's a very famous man in church history. He was a great Protestant at the time of the English Reformation in the 1500s, so about 500 years ago we're looking at. He was heavily involved in making England a Protestant nation. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury and so he was basically the first Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury rather than a Roman Catholic Archbishop. He was the one who wrote the the Book of Common Prayer that is still used around the world today in uh, many Anglican churches. It's been revised and modernised in certain Anglican churches so that it is easier to read. It doesn't have all the thee, thous and thys. Uh, But they still use a lot of the language from the Book of Common Prayer. He was involved in getting the English Bible First, the first English Bible to be recognised by the Crown, by the, the state and previously to that they'd always burned English Bibles. English translations of the Bible had been burned but Cranmer was involved in getting uh, a Bible officially recognised by the Crown. Not the King James Bible, that was to come a bit later. But, uh, and he also drew up the 42 articles of the Anglican Church. Uh, today they are the 39 articles, they were revised about uh, 50 years down the track but uh, they essentially the 39 articles that they have today are Cranmer's 42 articles slightly modified. And so the backbone of the Anglican Church, the, uh, the Protestant uh, claims that those articles make, uh, come from Thomas Cranmer. So Thomas Cranmer had a big influence in the Protestant Reformation, particularly in England, that's where he was. He was a very strong Protestant to to bring those things through. He really affirmed the faith of Christ alone, that we don't need the church, we just need Christ alone to be saved and to be going to heaven. You don't need the Roman Catholic Church, you just need Christ alone. But then Queen Mary came to the throne and she was a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, and she overturned a lot of the work that Cranmer had done and she imprisoned Thomas Cranmer. And he was actually imprisoned for three years being tortured and suffering for being a Protestant. And so eventually as an elderly man in prison he decided that he would go back on his faith. He was constantly pushed that he should reaffirm the Roman Catholic faith. And so as an elderly man he signed a declaration that took back all those doctrines that he held so dear. And the declaration included the quote, I believe most constantly in my heart and with my mouth I confess one holy and Catholic church visible without which there is no salvation and thereof I acknowledge the Bishop of Rome to be supreme head on earth whom I acknowledge to be the highest bishop and pope and Christ vicar, 
unto whom all Christian people should be subject. Cranmer denied the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ alone, faith alone. He went back on those, uh, those wonderful doctrines that he had been so influential in making part of the English Protestant nation. He went back and signed against those. He denied those doctrines that he'd held so dear. But Cranmer wasn't the first person to deny the faith of Jesus Christ alone. We see one of the most famous people to firstly go back and deny Jesus Christ is Peter the Apostle. 1,500 years earlier we see Peter the Apostle denying Jesus Christ. And all the Gospels record this event, he, uh, Peter denying Jesus Christ three times. And John is actually the only one who intersperses the denials of Jesus Christ with the record of Jesus' trial. So the other Gospels always hold the three denials, one, two, three, in a sort of set order there. But as the Bible reading we saw in John chapter 18 has, you have Peter's first denial from verses 15 through to 18 and then you have the high priest questioning Jesus uh, from verses 19 to 24 and then you have Peter's second and third denials, verses 25 to 27. And what the result is, is this strong contrast where you have Peter on the one hand cowering in the corner denying everything and you've got Christ on the other hand standing firm to the questioners and denying nothing. And so you have this wonderful contrast there of Peter and Jesus Christ both being put on trial and Peter denying Christ shamefully. So this morning I want to look at how can we learn from Peter not to deny Christ ourselves? How can we learn from Peter's example here of the three denials that he gives? Last week we looked at Judas and what we could learn from that apostle and his betrayal of Jesus Christ, how we could be led to never betray Jesus Christ ourselves. This week I want to look at Peter and how we can learn from that apostle how not to deny Jesus Christ ourselves. So the first thing that we can do to lead us to never deny Christ ourselves is to never be proud. My first main point then is never be proud because we see some of Peter's proud, uh, his pride coming up, welling up back in chapter 13, that other passage that we looked at this morning, chapter 13, we see Peter being quite proud and he's proud when times are good. He's just had his feet washed, we didn't read it, but back in verse 13, uh, chapter 13 earlier there, we see Peter getting his feet washed, he's had a lovely meal, uh, a feast with all the other disciples with Jesus Christ. Jesus has warned that times aren't going to be so good in the future. But Peter doesn't let that bother him. He thinks that because times are good now, he will always be strong and he's, pr- he's proud of his own strength. And so he makes the wonderful claim in verse 37 of chapter 13. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will surely be able to do it. It's not a case of I might be able to lay down my life for you. He says, I will. He uses the future there and it's one of those strong ways of declaring what you will do is you use the future tense. You say, I will do it. It's like when you talk to children. You don't say, um, you know, clean your room. You say, you will clean your room. It's actually a stronger thing to do if you say it in the future tense and so it makes it sound like it's really going to happen. And so we see that with Peter. He's saying, I will lay down my life for you. He's very assured of his own strength and he's taking pride in his own strength. And similarly, we as Christians can often be, we can be proud when times are good. 
when we aren't having a lot of financial concerns, uh, we aren't having those constraints, we may have very good relationships with all those around us. We aren't particularly fighting with our brother or sister or our parents at the moment and so we've got good relationships there. We've got good relationships with our friends and so we think that we're doing very well. We may not be even particularly struggling with any sin, major sin at the moment. We have the little sins that are always ongoing that we struggle with but nothing big and so we're, quite, we're doing very well as a Christian. And so we start to think, I'm so good. And we start to look at other people and think, oh, at least I don't struggle like they struggle because I'm such a strong Christian. I can rely on myself. And we look at something like Peter's denial and think, I wouldn't have done that. I would have stayed firm. I wouldn't have denied Jesus three times because I'm such a strong Christian. And we become proud and think that we have the strength to know what will happen in the future and that we will continue to affirm Jesus Christ. But what makes you think that you're any stronger than Peter? That you're such a stronger Christian than Peter? Think about Peter and who he was. He was a great apostle. He was there with Jesus Christ. He'd been privately instructed by Jesus Christ. Christ had blessed him in so many ways and Christ appoints him as... The, the head of the, the early church. When Christ leaves, he appoints Jesus to be the head of the early church. Peter was indeed a strong person there and he had experienced many blessings of Jesus. What makes you think that you are going to be any stronger than he was? You have to put your pride continuously to death. You have to continuously, whenever times are good, not let yourself be puffed up in your own strength and think I'm doing so well because it's me rather you should when you're doing well think isn't Christ good hasn't God been gracious to me in strengthening me don't think well of yourself when things are going well think well of God it is he who is helping you to have good relationships with everyone around you. It is he who is blessing you financially. It is he who is helping you overcome the major sins in your life and the reason why you aren't struggling so badly at the moment. Thank him for it and then don't think that it's your strength that's going to hold you through in the future. Beg God to continue to give you his strength. Pray to him and say, Lord, don't let me fall. You are the one that's giving me the strength at the moment so that I can be who I am. And in the future, if I'm going to stay in this state, if I'm going to continue affirming Christ, it has to be you, Lord. It has to be you who continues to give me his uh, gracious Holy Spirit in my life to uphold me. Beg Christ, beg God that he will continue to sustain you. Don't be like Peter and think, I know the future, I know my own strength and I know I won't deny Christ. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. All you know is that it is by God alone that you will be upheld tomorrow and not deny Christ. Trust in him and his strength and pray to him and beg him that you won't be like Peter denying Christ tomorrow. And you need to do so continuously, working at your pride, affirming God's strength and not your own. Reminds me of the, the weeds in the garden that I've been trying to get on top of. Uh, I was, it was pointed out to me that we've got weeds growing uh, quite um, profusely over in the garden there. And so I thought, alright, what I'll do each Saturday, I'll go out for half an hour 
and I'll, I'll, I'll give them a go. And so the first Saturday went well, I got a good portion of the garden done and then the next weekend was the preschool picnic so I couldn't do anything that weekend and then the next weekend I had a wedding to go to so I couldn't do anything then and before you know it I went out yesterday and the areas that I had weeded have got weeds back in them and the areas that I hadn't weeded have even more weeds than they had before. I've got to continuously be going out there and digging up the weeds and so it is with our pride. We can't ever let our guard down and think that our pride can let itself go up and we don't have to have, worry about it, we'll get on top of it another day. Continuously work at your pride just as we're meant to continuously be going out there and getting at those weeds. So the first main point we learn from Peter is never be proud. The second thing is to never fear man. Never fear man. The fear of man is one of the biggest ways that we commit sins. We're always afraid of what other people will think of us and so we end up sinning. And this includes the denial of Jesus Christ and we see this most clearly with Peter. We see that link between fear of man and a denial of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and we see him go through this fear of man in three different ways as he's challenged three different times. The first involves the fear of the slave girl, the girl at the door. Chapter 18, verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in. And then we get the first challenge. Verse 17, You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. The first person that Peter is afraid of is this girl at the door. Is she a formidable threat? Is she a scary person? Well, firstly we know that she's on the door, so that means the word that is used indicates that she's a slave. Okay, so slaves low down on the status in society, not a lot of control, Peter's a free man, this woman is a slave. The other thing is, she's a girl. Sorry ladies, but in this time of society, women were much lower down on the scale. So we've got both categories there, the lowest of the low. We have a slave girl challenging Peter. And what does Peter do to this very small threat He cowers from it and denies Christ. We even know that she's not that much of a threat by the way that she has already let one of the other disciples in. This other disciple, most people think that it's John. He doesn't like to sort of refer to himself by name. So it's probably John there and he knew the high priest. This slave girl has actually been friendly towards one of the other disciples. And here Peter sees this and still thinks that she's pretty scary and I'm going to sin because I'm afraid of her. And then, the, then the, the challenges get a little bit stronger. We see them mounting. So the first one's you know, not that scary and Peter denies Christ. We think maybe he learns from that and so when a stronger challenge comes, he may not deny Christ. He may affirm Christ. But no, it continues. Down in verse 25 of John chapter 18. John chapter 18 verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, He was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, 
I am not. This is a bit of a stronger challenge and the reason why is because it's actually from a group. If you look at the other Gospels, it kind of is a bit uncertain as to who actually makes this next challenge, whether it's another girl or whether it's the same girl. It seems to be a group of them standing around the fire that Peter is warming himself at. They start talking about what's going on and they start talking about him and they all sort of start to look over at him and challenge him. And one goes, yeah, yeah, aren't you with him? And they say, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And the reason we know it's a, a group here as well is because John actually has it in the plural. We don't see it in our NIV translations, which is unfortunate there. In verse 25, it says, he was asked. If you translate it literally in the Greek, it says, they said, you are not one of his disciples, are you? So it sort of comes as a collective, you are not one of his disciples. And it's much more worrisome to be challenged by a group of people. It's much easier to be afraid when there's more people to be afraid of. And so Peter gets a stronger threat here and what does he do? He denies Christ. He denied it saying, I am not. And then the challenge gets even stronger. The third denial comes. It comes from someone who knows Peter's uh, actions in the past. Verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Here is someone who actually is related to the guy that Peter lopped the ear off. Now this person is obviously very interested in who Peter is. Imagine that, if your uh, brother had had his ear chopped off by someone and then you think that this person standing before you might be that person who did it, you've got a very strong interest and Peter, he may not recognise that this is a relative but at least uh, John has recognised it so there seems to be some indication there uh, that this had gone on and so this is a very strong threat because of course Peter is surrounded there by servants and guards and soldiers and he has committed a crime, he has lashed out and chopped someone's ear off and he he did it whilst uh, someone was being arrested So he's up for probably some sort of prosecution for this. And so there's a little bit of self-interest now coming into the play which probably wasn't there earlier. It was just easy to deny at first but now he's really concerned, oh yeah, I could get arrested, not because I'm with Jesus but because I've lopped this guy's ear off. And what does Peter do? Has he learnt from his previous challenges? No, again Peter denied it and at that moment a rooster began to crow. Are you like Peter and afraid of men? Do you have a fear of men? Are you someone who gets afraid of the slightest threat that may come along? You're ready to deny Jesus Christ at the drop of a hat. You're maybe in conversation with a family friend. You're maybe in conversation with a family member who who loves you and has been kind to you and you know likes you and they ask you a question about you being a Christian. Why do you believe in God? Why do you go to church on Sunday? And they ask it in kind of a negative tone as we see with these, these questions. The girl says, are you not one? It's sort of a little bit of negative tone there on it. When someone challenges you with a bit of negativity, are you ready to move the conversation away or to deny Jesus Christ and say, oh no, I don't go to church very regularly. You want to deny Jesus Christ when the slightest threat comes along. Is that you? Do you affirm your Christian faith until a slight threat arises? 
Or are you someone who is ready to affirm your Christian faith when it's a slight threat challenges it, but when it's a group of people, you back down and you aren't so bold to declare the gospel and what you believe. It may be at a dinner table with family members and they're all non-Christian and one of them looks over at you and says, yeah, you're, you're a Christian, why do you still believe in God? You've been doing it for a number of years now, surely that should have wiped out by now. You should have gotten over that phase in your life. And everyone suddenly looks at you. All eyes are on you. Everyone's interested as to what you're going to say next. Do you deny your Christian faith? Do you minimise your Christianity and who you are? Or do you see it as a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel and are bold in declaring who Jesus Christ is and that it's not just for you personally but it's for everyone, that everyone needs to hear about Christ and who he is. Are you ready to stand firm when there's a group of people looking at you? Maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe you uh, can stand the, the small threats. You can even stand the threat of a group of people. But will you stand firm when there's something even stronger? When there's a possibility of physical harm for what you've done for affirming Jesus Christ? We're in a free country at the moment, but that may not necessarily be freedom in the future to believe in Jesus Christ. There are countries around the world today where it is a crime and you will be prosecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. If that happens, will you happily go to jail? Will you happily go to the stake as Cranmer should have when he instead signed that recantation of his faith? Are you prepared to stand firm no matter what threat may come along? Peter was threatened that because of what he had done in trying to defend Christ, he would end up being prosecuted for it. Are you ready to be prosecuted for your faith? Never fear man. Don't fear what man can do to you. Who are you to be afraid of instead? Fear God. He is the one to be afraid of and not man. What does Matthew 10.28 say? Matthew 10.28 Matthew 10:28 Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell if there is someone to fear it is God everyone else what's the most that they can do to you they can kill your body can they kill your soul no can God kill your soul in hell for eternity? Yes. He is the one to fear. Do not fear man, fear God. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ as Peter was. What does Luke 9.26 say about being ashamed of Christ? Luke 9.26 Luke 9.26, if anyone, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Imagine that. You were ashamed to affirm your faith. Jesus will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory not just his glory, and in the glory of the Father 
and of the holy angels. Imagine that, Jesus coming in his glory and saying, You are ashamed of me, I'm now ashamed of you. Be not ashamed of the gospel and to affirm Jesus Christ. So, two, two things we can learn from Peter so far. Never be proud, never fear man. Third and last one, never begin to lie. How do you not deny Christ? Never begin to lie. Because once you mishandle the truth, the lies become easier to do and you're actually under more obligation to continue lying. Once you let a lie in, it becomes easier and easier. And we see this with Peter, that the first lie he comes along with, it may have bothered him at first, his conscience may have really been troubled by it, but then he gets stronger in his denial. You see that in the other Gospels. He starts to swear and take oaths and to affirm that he really doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. It starts to become habitual once you do it uh, for the second or third time. And once you do it many times, it starts to deaden your conscience and your conscience goes to sleep and you start to not really recognise that this is a sin anymore. Once you let the sin in the first time, it starts to get easier and easier to do it again and again and there starts to be a need to continue to do it. And you see that with some people who have told so many lies or affirmed the lie so much that they've actually forgotten what the real truth was. They've told so many lies that it just ends up uh, affirming uh, the lie upon lie upon lie and so it becomes hard to remember what the actual truth was, what it happened in the beginning. And you see that with family stories uh, around the... The, the dinner table, my sister will tell a story and she's told it so many times with the lie in it that no one listens to me and my side of the story anymore. All they've heard is her lie over and over again and her exaggeration for so many years that it's actually become the truth. And so we see that with Peter. He continues to lie again and again and it becomes more and more easy for him to do and he's got to keep doing it because he's already told the girl at the door once the lie, he's now got to affirm that lie or otherwise he'll be found out. And so he's got to do it again and again and again and God will continue to put you in situations where you've got to continue to affirm that lie. People will continue to challenge you and ask you, are you a Christian? They've seen you going to church, maybe it was years ago and they continue to challenge you and ask you about your Christian faith. Never begin to lie. And you need to continue doing it. It's just like my weeds again. You've got to be continuous at getting down your pride and you've got to be continuous at getting them while they're young, getting them early. That's what we've got to do with our lies, get them early because lies breed more lies. And it's the same with my weeds. I've got to get out there and get them while they're young because once they get a bit bigger, they start to flower and they start to pollinate and it starts to go everywhere and then I've got even more weeds to deal with. And it's the same with your lies. You get one lie, it grows up, it pollinates and before you know it you've got all these lies to try and handle and try to overcome. Get them while they're young. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to get at the lies in your life too. There's one big lie that then gives uh, seed to so many other lies and that one big lie that you need to overcome first and foremost is that you're okay with God that you're okay, that there is no problem between you and God, that you don't have to be a Christian to be okay with God. Because if you tell yourself that lie, then you've got to tell yourself all these other lies. You've got, you may even start to tell yourself the lie that there isn't a God, that he doesn't exist. 
and that the Bible isn't the word of God because it starts to challenge me on my behaviour. No, 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 it can't be a historical document. There's got to be mistakes in it. It can't be God's word. And so you start to lie about that and tell yourself lies about that. And you start to tell yourself lies about other Christians that may be around you to say, they aren't really that loving a people and there's no real change in them. I don't really see a difference between Christians and non-Christians. And you start to lie about all kinds of things to help you to affirm that first lie that you're, you're, not, you're okay with God. That's the first lie. And then all these other lies come from that. Get at that one lie that you're not okay with God. Tell yourself the truth. Non-Christians, deep down, you know you're not okay with God. You know there is a God. And you know that you need to be in a right relationship with him. Stop telling yourself the lie that you're okay. Repent of your sins. Recognise your sins for what they are. Don't tell yourself that they're okay, that they're good, that they're somehow right when God sees them as wrong. Stop telling yourself that lie and repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Become a Christian and start to rely on his strength and not your own to follow off after him. So what do we learn from Peter this morning to help us to never to deny Christ? Never be proud as he was proud at the Last Supper there. Never fear man. Never begin to lie. These are the ways to help us to prevent from denying Christ in the future. But if you have denied Christ in the past, remember that God does forgive us for denying Christ in the past. He's not happy about it, but he does forgive. We see that with Peter. We aren't looking at it this morning, but over in John 21, Jesus meets with Peter again and affirms his, uh, his role in being a disciple of Jesus. And so we see Peter come back more boldly than before, standing up boldly in Acts, affirming his faith, not fearing anyone when he is prosecuted by people, put in prison. He is not afraid of them. He stands firm. He doesn't believe in his own pride anymore and his own strength and he doesn't fear man and he's not ready to begin to lie. He comes back stronger. If you've denied Christ in the past, stop doing it and come back even stronger. And the same went for Thomas Cranmer. After he had signed his recantation, Cranmer was still sentenced to be burned at the stake. And when they used to burn you at the stake then, they'd have a church service and, uh, and someone would preach a very fiery sermon, pardon the pun there, uh, yes, and preach a sermon and you and the person who was going to get burned would stand up and uh, reaffirm their, their denial, uh, their recantation, what they'd signed. And so Cranmer was given this opportunity and everyone was expecting him to continue in his denial of the Protestant faith, but instead... He made a humble plea for forgiveness and boldly withdrew his former denials and avowed himself unshaken in the Protestant faith. And then he went to the flames. And seven years later, John Fox wrote an account of the burning in the, uh, a book, well, it was actually volumes, called Acts and Monuments, and it's commonly known today as Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you can get a copy of it very easily and read it and it talks about all the different martyrs of the Christian faith. So Fox wrote about his burning, about Cranmer's burning. And he says, When the wood was kindled and the fire began to burn near Cranmer, 
he was seen by all who stood there to stretch forth his right hand with which he had signed his recantations and to hold it in the flames. There he held it so unflinchingly that all the people saw it burned before his body was touched by the fire. So patient and steadfast was he in the midst of this extreme torment that he uttered no cry and seemed to move no more than the stake to which he was bound. His eyes were lifted up to heaven and often he repeated, This was the hand that wrote it, this unworthy right hand, so long as his voice would suffer him and as often using the words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, till the fury of the flames putting him to silence, he gave up the ghost. Cranmer turned back and it is my hope that if you've ever denied Christ in the past that you stop doing it and turn back more boldly than before as Cranmer was, he was ready to hold out that part of his body that he saw as going back on Jesus and make sure it was burned first. Affirm the faith, learn from Peter and his denials. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this tremendous lesson that we can learn from Peter today. So many years after he denied Christ, there are still pressures upon us to deny Christ. Help us to be ready to affirm you, no matter what challenge may come our way. Help us to never be proud and arrogant and trust in our own strength and somehow think we know that we won't deny you in the future. Instead, help us to trust in you and beg you for more grace so that tomorrow we don't deny you. Help us to not be afraid of men who cannot kill the soul, who can only kill the body, but instead be afraid of you, O Lord. You are the one who we can come to and know that you are in control of everything and you have our very lives and our souls in your hands and so you are the one to listen to. And help us to never to begin to lie and harden ourselves to sin and its consequences. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.